The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Skinny are helping you show how smart you are with the 1Q Quiz, an all-new, super-challenging and super-quick daily quiz built by The Spin-Off. Every Monday, Skinny are giving you the chance to prove you're smart with the Skinny Extra Credit question. Get it right and you'll get the chance to score yourself some Skinny Extra mobile credit so you can text, call or even video call your group chat and gloat about how big your brain is. T's and C's apply. It's one minute past 10 on Monday night. Uh, we've just spent the last 61 minutes trying to make the technology work. Would you like to explain what's happened, Ben Thomas? I'm a victim of modern society. I broke my phone the other week, and so I, I bought a new phone, but it didn't have a headphone jack in it. And so when my um, when my store of $10 headphones finally expired, like government PPE stocks, because similarly to our public health system, I had stood on it or sat on it or left it in movie theaters or whatever. Um, I, I didn't buy new plug-in headphones, and this caused problems for, for the, the high high production standards that we have for Zoom podcasting at the spin-off. Ladies and gentlemen, this has gone by lunchtime. I suppose I should say that. Tēnā koutou katoa. Hi, Annabelle, Lee, Maitha. How are you going? Kia ora. Right? I am very you're, you're well. Still, you're still going? Hanging in there. Hanging uh, in also there. also got quarantina. Quarantina tiller. <laughs> uh, staying up late for gone by lunchtime. Uh, the good news is that there's even more election than there was before. Last time we spoke, there were 39 days to go until the New Zealand 2020 general election. Today... There are 60 days to go to the New Zealand general election. That's where now a week later than that. So forget me that, eh? What a riddle. <laughs> On TV3 tonight, I think it was, Tover O'Brien said that um, it was bad news for political nerds who were having their Christmas delayed. But I, I don't think it is. I think it's more like it's like political edging. It's just sort of adding to the build up and the tension and the excitement and the anticipation. Is it like 60 Christmas Eves? It's exciting because there are like three or even four extra gone by lunchtimes, but even better news, uh, it's another four weeks pay for Hamish Walker. Well done, Hamish Walker. <laughs> Sorry, another another four weeks of walking through the parliamentary hallways trying to avert the press gallery's eyes for Claire Curran and Sarah Dowie. <laughs> um, thank you very much to Flick Electric. Thank you to Spinoff members. We can only keep the Spinoff on the road thanks to our members. If you can, please join on up. Thank you. We love you. Please subscribe to this podcast if you like it or if you don't. For $10, um, you can sponsor personally my petrol station headphones. 
Um, what happened? I don't know if Ben owned up to this, but uh, Jane Yee, who is our podcast uh, boss, drove halfway across Auckland to furnish Ben Thomas with some headphones. At one point, Ben was trying to connect to this Zoom call using his phone, his mobile, uh, his, uh, his tablet, his eye socket, his laptop. And it was just a hot mess, ladies and gentlemen. Believe it or not, last time we spoke, which was less than a week ago, we were in alert level one and everything was going swimmingly. We were chatting about how Jerry Brownlee was uh, darkly intoning about the possible... Uh, about about why were people preparing us for a possible outbreak because it was that was never going to happen, and a lot of water has gone under the bridge since then, leading up to this morning, that being Monday morning, a ten a.m. press conference on a Monday, at which Annabelle, the Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, announced that the election would be kicked back from September nineteen to October seventeen. Did she have any choice? Do you think in the end? to do that well she kind of did have a choice because ultimately it's her call but but um certainly the pressure was was on but i think um she ultimately did the right thing but i feel like she probably would have done that anyway well, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Because there was some suggestion that she had been snookered then into pushing the election out by Winston Peters, who on a busy Sunday afternoon in New Zealand politics excited all the nerds by creating the seeds of a constitutional political crisis or something by uh, making it clear that the, he needed the election to be pushed into the future and that with the other opposition parties combined with the other party of coalition, they had a majority in the House. And he put rather pointedly at the end of his press release, said it's important that the Governor General knows this. Now, I don't want to get too um, lost in the minutiae of the uh, public law on this, but do you think that Winston Peters was instrumental in the decision this morning, or do you think Jacinda was just going to go that way anyway? I mean, Winston was obviously the main, I think, momentum for the Prime Minister changing the election date. Uh, do you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. I mean, I, I think they would. I think initially, at least, um, he was certainly the person pushing for it. He was certainly the person who had leverage with the Prime Minister, as you say, in a position to uh, at least threaten a very confusing constitutional situation. I think the picture would have become clearer to the Prime Minister once that polling came out. Um, the Curia poll over the weekend showed that a majority of Aucklanders wanted the election delayed as a result of the lockdown. The Herald ran some polling this morning saying that a majority of New Zealanders and a big majority of Aucklanders wanted the election delayed. So at that point, I think just to avoid any kinds of questions, the Prime Minister sort of had no choice but to push it, push it out a bit, only by a month, certainly not the two months that Winston Peters or Judith Collins would have preferred. Judith Collins was even talking about 2021, which doesn't really make any sense if, you know, the prime consideration is not being in lockdown, because 
well, we probably have enough time for two more lockdowns and two more outbreaks of community transmission before then. And probably, uh, so we're really two more nas- national party leaders at the current rate as well. <laughs> it's kind of nice though, because it feels like now Judith just wants Jacinda to rule forever. Like apparently, <laughs> apparently she loves her nonsense, and yeah, it also this is kind some of serious kind Venezuelan of, shit going on. It feels a bit off-brand for Winston too because usually he's all about being back to the good old days instead of forward to the to the better days. Hmm, hmm, interesting. I, 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 I'm not sure. I think that it would be an incredibly... It, it would appear to be an irresponsible thing to have an election so close to community transmission... So while I'm sure all those things played a part, I, I think that the Prime Minister is astute enough to know that in terms of the perception it would create, that it would look like you're playing pretty um, rough and hard with, with people's health and also risk um, a big chunk of her voter base not turning out because um, they may perhaps be more at risk. I'm thinking of like Māori and Pacifica communities um, of of COVID than than others. And she's built her um, reputation around being conciliatory, around being constructive, and this decision does seem to allow her to be the bigger person in a, in, in, a, in a real sense. I think. I mean, my my hunch on it and this is not they've got no i've got no intel on this is that she probably would have gone that way anyway and yes she consulted with all the other parties and of course winston uh wanted to be the guy and grandstanded on a sunday but it always seemed to me as i predicted in the secret um deep web sealed section of gone by lunchtime uh, I thought it was going to be a four-week delay from a while ago. And so it just seems like, I mean, I, it seems to me, obviously it's a big thing to do to shift the election date, but it's only relatively recently that New Zealand prime ministers have announced the election date with or you know the better part of a year in advance. And it, the parliament hadn't dissolved, writ day hadn't come around. And so... It's actually fairly orderly, despite the extremely exciting 24 hours that preceded it. And in the end, that left me thinking that the ultimate question was, why not? You know, yeah, there's a bit of inconvenience for a lot of people, but, but, you know, why not? And the primary consideration there for Labour, you know, in base political terms, is that a month's delay probably doesn't hurt them at all. I mean, obviously, if an election was held tomorrow, they would probably romp home with a clear majority and rule alone. Um, On the other hand, you know, I think despite what is really electoral mana from heaven, basically the campaign equivalent of a $50 million winning lotto ticket falling into the laps of Judith Collins and Jerry Brownlee, National basically wasted that entire uh, opportunity. They've wasted the time since community transmission came back, noodling about things like the election date, which the Prime Minister can neutralise pretty easily by pushing it out for a month, rather than actually concentrating on the government's record on COVID, which 
if you cast your mind back a million years to the Sunday before last, or Saturday before last, um, Jacinda Ardern said this is the COVID election and essentially was running on the singular platform of we beat COVID and we will keep it out and we'll, we're returning back to normal, all of which was absolutely blown out of the water last week. Uh, but the, the national opposition was just too busy denying that they were QAnon cultists and worrying about the election date to be able to capitalise on that. And so I think, you know, the public sentiment still seems to largely be that the government is doing a strong job on this. And so, you know, Ardern really had, did have nothing to lose. Now she can say she beat it twice. <laughs> the irony is, the irony is that after, you know, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of us being put into level three and the rest of the country in level two and the election being shifted, it feels like a quiet week in politics. No move. <laughs> bad boys, the Brexit being oh, quiet. Yeah. Oh, yeah, shout out to the bad boy, this Brexit. Bad boys. Um, we love you guys. We just, we spend a lot of time talking about you in the combat lunchtime deep web sealed section as well. Yeah, all, um, all the, ma- so the mayhem that they're injecting into the campaign. Mm-hmm. The happy chaos. fanfic about the bad boys is just incredible stuff. It's 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 electric. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about that national party response. Then it was there was that press conference that took place after that extraordinary. Well, there was a press conference that took place on Monday night, wasn't it? it was a Tuesday night. It was definitely Monday or Tuesday night. It was Tuesday night. And it was at 9.15pm and it was announced that there had been a community outbreak. Then um, uh, Judith Collins and Jerry Brownlee gave that extraordinary press conference in which they, the following morning, in which they basically kind of uh, got the largest available dog whistle in Lambton Quay and did all that just asking questions just putting a series of facts together stuff and it, 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 it as you suggested Ben it backfired a lot don't you reckon Annabelle? Yeah I think uh, the interview that he did on Morning Report last week couldn't have been worse timing and you know again just providing lots of fodder for the whole you know national not fit to govern hashtag on Twitter um, I think um, the 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 risk that he runs and in, in provide and taking a Trumpesque approach to conspiracy theories is I mean that's how Trump started off with the coronavirus um, conspiracy theories and then the whole um, you know it'll dry up in the heat and look where Trump is now with his polling. So I think apart from hurting his own credibility and um and and also um potentially putting the health of New Zealanders at risk, it, it does nothing to enhance the manner of of national as a party that's ready to govern us through COVID. And the reality is no issue has focused the minds of New Zealanders and given us a singular sense of purpose as much as as this issue has and um 
And instead of really taking the government to task, we've heard a lot about catastrophic failures at the border, but they're not saying what they are and what they'd be doing differently. Doesn't give you a whole lot to go on. Team, sorry to interrupt, it's producer T here, just wanting to tell you about the spin-off members. A new, well, not really new, but an initiative to help us fund all the journalism that you want to know. You can email us, tell us what you want to see, anything you want. Visit thespinoff.co.nz forward slash members. And while you're here, just just listen to one of our other podcasts. Do it. I'm telling you, it's a great time. Okay, bye. So there was there was that uh, sort of maybe forty eight hours of kind of really wonky tactics, and we also had Judith Collins uh, complaining about the an imagined constitutional convention, um, the, the 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 caretaker convention, which didn't actually apply, saying that she wanted more time in the spotlight. Um, but then Ben. There seemed to be a realisation Jerry Brownlee was acknowledged that he'd got into a bad spot with some of that talk. Um, and I've noticed in the last uh, maybe 24 hours, there's been much more determined focus on failures at the borders. And when you've heard Paul Goldsmith speaking, Judith Collins speaking, they're trying to, they've clearly got the key talking point failure at the borders because... Uh, Ashley Bloomfield said today there haven't been failures at the border, but I think that's a pretty uh, bit of a stretch of credibility, given that we have seen the acknowledgement that there hasn't been the testing of people in the uh, isolation and quarantine facilities that we were told, and that follows earlier in the year we were promised that there was going to be testing of everyone in those facilities before they left and then we heard about um what what, 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 how, what did you christen them annabelle thelma and fluies or thelma and thelma. <laughs> covid and fluies but that's COVID and that, fluies. but that's way better um, but there are there are there are, it seems like and it seems like maybe they have now just the national party have uh Identified a sort of a discipline about about that line of attack. Yeah, and and the, the shame for them is that it's come almost a week too late. I mean, th- this was a sitter that the government's entire re-election pitch. You know, we heard how they were saying we're not going to be rolling out big policy. We're not going to be scaring the horses. They're they're going to do the small target kind of strategy which is, look, we're running on our record of getting COVID out of the community. And then COVID was back in the community. I mean, there was not a more open goal (laughs) waiting for the National Party there. And yeah, like you said, instead of immediately hammering and saying, this government, we knew that there were problems with the border. We knew that test numbers were down. And now we have community transmission again. They've failed New Zealand. You know, and you can agree with that or not, but that's the line that you would take. And instead, Jerry ascends the podium, starts playing film of, you know, the Dallas promenade and going back into the left, back into the left for half an hour to journalists. Um, it was just so incredibly ill-timed. Um, that, yeah, and, and you're right, they, they seem to have sort of fixed on it now because, look, there are serious questions to be answered here. Ashley Bloomfield, St. Ashley, the boyfriend of New Zealand or whatever, the who who is simultaneously regarded by his fans as 
both a, a fearless warrior who has crushed COVID single-handedly, but also a kind of tremulous, quivering baby deer who needs to be protected from any criticism, is, you know, has, has said no one's responsible. Oh, the, the government, yes, the government thought that there was all this testing happening at the border, as experts uh, recommended, as was government policy, but actually it wasn't happening, but that's no one's fault. I mean, well, you know, there's got to be fault somewhere. There's got to be fault either that the, the ministry dropped the ball on the testing, which certainly seems to be true, and there is some kind of responsibility in terms of the government then misleading the public, whether accidentally or intentionally, and we, we don't have enough information to know that, know what the case was there. But if the Ministry of Health can't be relied on to implement government policy or even report clearly to the government about whether it is or not, that's a serious problem when we have a global pandemic going. And what's amazing is that the opposition's distraction has, you know, has left it really to enterprising media people like Michael Mora to really get to the bottom of it. Now, hopefully with Parliament reconvening, National will sort of realise that they actually have a job to do as the opposition in terms of holding the government to account and will get back on, you know, on that mission rather than worrying about, you know, whether they have enough time to stuff mailboxes during the campaign. I would say that I don't think that Ashley Bloomfield would regard himself as the um, quivering deer, deer or uh, whatever it was you described. I mean, I, I mean, I've, I've heard him before say he welcomes the criticism. One of the things I've thought, however, in watching it is, particularly when you look at Jet Park, uh, which is basically uh, a kind of great big radiant teeming mass of COVID in New Zealand. Like there is no, there, it's where all the COVID is there, right? <laughs> you know, that's almost all the COVID is in Jetpack. And so forget about everywhere else, but that's where it is. We know that. And to learn that only 60% of the people that work there, I think if I have that right, not, if, not all the staff that work there have been tested, just seems to me absolutely unacceptable. And I want Ashley Bloomfield, just as a punter, just as a punter watching these press conferences, to be a bit pissed off about that. It seems to me that Chris Hipkins looks, at least looks pissed off about it. I want Ashley Bloomfield, I don't necessarily, I think he really does not want to, um, He's. A, I think he's I think he's genuinely a, 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 an empathetic and strong leader of his team and he doesn't want to start singling people out, and I understand that. He's, everyone is under a lot of pressure and he wants to keep them on board. But I'd like him to be a bit angry. I'd like him to say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to start singling people out, but I'm not, this is not good enough. And I will expect better from my team. That's what I want to hear. I Annabelle? agree. I agree. And, you know, um, where there's humans, there's human error, but um, the government and the Ministry of Health are charged with, um, with keeping our borders safe, and clearly they've failed to do that. Again, though, I think, um, and you're right to acknowledge um, Michael Mora and his excellent work, and I think Simon Bridges put it best when he says, you know, a good opposition means that you have a, you know, a better government, and so we've been we've been failed by... The government, but we've also been failed by the opposition for um, for not keeping an eye on the ball. 
So the National Party will have a chance to uh, go again tomorrow. We're speaking on Monday night. This 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 podcast will emerge into the world on Tuesday. What would you be suggesting, Ben, as uh, someone who used to offer advice to ministers on questions? What would you be advising the line of questions and question type be from the National Party? They need to get back to basics. They need to drill down into the detail. Uh, right now, no one is accepting responsibility for the supposed uh, the dissonance that Ashley Bloomfield has talked about in terms of knowledge about testing at the border. They need to be asking specific questions about which briefings Chris Hipkins got, why Chris Hipkins and the Prime Minister thought that there was full testing going on at the border, and how they formed that impression, and who was responsible for that lapse. Because there are two ways you can get a wrong impression. One, there could be, you know, it could have been a deliberate attempt to obfuscate or just a lack of care from the officials, allowing the ministers to get the wrong idea. Or it could be the same kind of thing that we saw with David Clark, where they're not asking the right questions. They're not doing the follow-up and they're not taking the reasonable duty of care that they need to as ministers to make sure that their ministry is performing. So that, that's where they really need to drill down uh, as an opposition. They need to be hanging them up on the details. The details are what will, what, are what will you know, allow them to uh, puncture, I guess, this impression of you know, an all-protective, super-competent government. Uh, because there are holes in the story, just as there are holes in the border, as it turns out, and they need to exploit explore those ruthlessly, not not just for their own electoral benefit, but actually for the good of the country, because it seems right now there don't seem to be consequences for anything. There were no consequences for anyone from letting the two women zorb to the funeral. There, uh, you know, and it seems that the Ministry of Health will say it do is doing things, not do it, and then there are then there is no accountability after that. You know, the minister, the minister and Ashley Bloomfield at different points have said, "I take responsibility for that." Well, what does that actually mean? Does that just mean that you say that during an interview and then everything carries on as it was before? Well, it means that David Clark didn't, and therefore that ended him. I think that's what it means. <laughs> Annabelle, I don't know if you can we get the what... can we get the Zorb swapped. And have its genome checked as well. <laughs> the, the genome sequencing of the Zorb. Oh, I don't know if yeah. you caught much of what Ben just said, Annabelle. I was struggling because I was just transfixed by his his pose at the moment. He's sort of now I'm spread trying out. To... I know. One he's knee up. Out. He's got a knee up. He's got his Like a Michael down. Jackson record, eh? Like, <laughs> is it the Thriller record? <laughs> He ben. just needs a leopard um, to stroke. That's not appropriate, Ben. That is not appropriate. You should apologise. I'm trying like to get the best. I can't tell if the internet problem is mine, so I'm trying to get closer and closer to the motor. I'm okay. just like okay. edging further along yeah. the ground. I've just been sort of sliding yeah. down the couch and kind of... I just I thought I thought you were must be filming TikTok simultaneously or something. This is for my own weekends. I'm doing it's a small task. It's mm. it's um it's it's upsetting and also slightly uh, arousing right. if I'm if I'm honest. <laughs> the, 
<laughs> the uh, and he's now got a jar. I wish, I wish we, I wish this was a video production because he's now sipping from a large jar of kind of bright yellow liquid. And I don't mean to be scatological for no reason, but what does it look like, Annabelle? Allegedly, it looks like Mimi, hmm. but it, allegedly it's Mountain Dew. I think we should get it swabbed as well while we're at it. I, I don't think any virus or any organic material could live in here. This is. It, it looks like he's he looks like he's been got. He's he's actually just been grabbing a little bit out of the zorb every day. You it's, look like one of those people that had to drink their own mummy to survive a night in the bush. Except that you're only in level three, in the heart of Auckland City. He's in he's in level forty two. You know. <laughs> We're rec- we're recording a podcast at like ten thirty PM at night. Like I'm I'm Jack. I'm like I I had six cigarettes. I've really like had a jar of Mountain Dew. Caffeine? Isn't that the thing about Mountain Dew? It's like loaded with caffeine. It is. I'm like we're just getting started. We're 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 only in the first first quarter of the podcast. That's right. Let's keep it's going. Part, part I got I got plenty more. <laughs> Uh, well, the other the other story of the last few days that uh, emerged, especially on Sunday, but anyone who was on social media over the weekend probably saw it. There were um, various conspiracy theories, one in particular that ended up being asked in the press conference, and fair enough, because it had sort of surfaced in so many people's feeds, which uh, was a lie, a racist and misogynist lie too, that implied, suggested, claimed wrongly that a member of one of the families that was affected had uh, snuck into a quarantined zone and met with someone who'd been deported and blah, 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 blah. And Annabelle, those sort of conspiracy theories malicious conspiracy theories, disinformation, have really become a worrying part of our discourse in recent times. They really have. And I guess um, um, that's what happens when it's part of um, experiencing a global pandemic in the digital era. Um, that those sorts of um, rumours um, slash conspiracies are able to be, you know, spread far and wide across the internet. But the problem is, is when you live in a small country like New Zealand, it has a very real impact on the people that it's about. And that's just one of, you know, a growing number of conspiracies about um, COVID that are, you know, being discussed in New Zealand, everything from it being, you know, a complete hoax altogether and that there's nothing to worry about to it being a bioweapon. And unfortunately, there's a, a growing number of um, New Zealanders who are buying it hook, like line and sinker. And as Ben talked about um, a couple of weeks ago, that poses significant um, um, public health um problems further downstream mm, mm. and it i was struck that in this particular case there have obviously been various types of conspiracy theory that have been propelled in a way by 
some small parties like the public party is it called the public party and 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 and, and, and arguably to some extent as well even by Jerry Brownlee who's rode back from that but in the case of this particular one which it seems pretty clear which account started it with Ben I and I'm not joking about this why aren't we contact tracing that disinformation like why aren't we contact tracing that lie that malign malevolent pernicious lie back to its uh, the person who began that lie and I don't know provide that information to police more to the point why isn't Facebook obliged to do that tracing back using their technology and stop that appalling stuff happening because it's it's it can have really dangerous reward consequences yeah and it's not clear to me what kind of uh you know criminal offense you would charge the originator of that with um you know there might be a defamation uh claim um but it's, i don't even know that it would um would it be the, the digital, digital communication yeah yeah um yeah. You know, we really don't have the legal tools for this kind of thing. Um, yeah. And, yeah, you're right. I mean, we saw the Christchurch call and a, a lot of focus on this after the mosque shootings in Christchurch. Um, but, of course, you know, the effect of <laughs> reduced faith in public health measures, um, reduced faith in vaccines, uh, distrust of the government during a public health crisis could be every bit as deadly as, you know, a mass shooting. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I, I don't know that you'll ever be able to clamp down on the originators of these, these conspiracy theories. You know, unfortunately, I think largely what we're left with is education, debunking. And, and look, it's hard. You know, I used to think that part of the problem was that, you know, young people weren't trained to distinguish uh, between reliable or unreliable news sources on the internet. Um, but as we're seeing, that applies just as much to boomers, you know, um, who have gone from sharing minions memes uh, to sharing conspiracies about the government covering up, you know, incursions into quarantine. Because that that's what made that rumour, you know, it was a rumour that somebody snuck into the the quarantine facility, and that's how it got out. The conspiracy was that the government was covering it up and ordering the media not to report it, which, of course, as people who have worked in the media, we know is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous because <laughs> if the government told a journalist not to publish a story, it would be, you know, it would immediately be bumped up from page 10 to <laughs> above the fold on the, the front page. Um <laughs> The, the the other thing is, I you know, it's hard to see what the payoff for the government in most of these conspiracy theories is, because they're they're wild. I mean, we're still only getting the very mild ones here. Um, the the one in the theory in Melbourne was that the lockdown. Well, one of, one of the various swelling theories was that the lockdown was all a ruse, so that the Australian special forces could liberate hundreds of sex trafficked children who were being kept in tunnels beneath the city. Now, yeah, I mean, it, you know, this is the sort of thing that we would prima facie think is obviously ridiculous and, you know, no, nobody could ever sort of entertain for even a second. 
And it doesn't bear up to any scrutiny because, you know, I mean, that, that I would have thought would be a pretty popular cause and you wouldn't have to kind of fool the public into going along with it. Um, but, yeah, it, you know, m- most of these things are pretty illogical. You know, why, why would Jacinda Ardern want to tip over democracy in New Zealand and install a communist state, you know? Um, well, but unfortunately, I think that... Uh, I was just going to say, we interviewed Tina Ngata um, about this in the weekend and she yeah. had some some um, really interesting takes. I think it's been well discussed that um, disadvantaged... She wrote commu- a great piece for Ia Tangata on this, on, on Māori Maga, right? She did. And um, I think, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about why... Um, uh, disadvantaged communities or communities that have had um, negative relationships with the media or science or governments in the past are particularly susceptible to these. But she had an interesting um, take on it, which is that um, that really it requires um, government and its um, and the arms of government to take ownership of those um for of its mistakes from the past and to try and build um relationships with those communities um where uh, power is shared where information is communicated um using um the values and the language that is familiar to them and one of the criticisms that were made by by Dr. Kukutai is that while there has been a fantastic response from Māori leadership on the ground in terms of iwi checkpoints and supporting vulnerable whānau, um, there has been a lack of visibility of Māori leadership at the national level in terms of communicating the messages around COVID and that's a part of the problem. And so... Um, Given that this, you know, epidemics are probably going to become a more regular thing as we deforest and humans live closer to animals, and there's um, more novel um, viruses um, that are transmitted into the into humans, um, this is something that governments around the world need to think very seriously about and come up with strategies for. Speaking of conspiracy theories, a very strange uh, piece on TV3 last night, or tonight, last night when you're listening to this, um, where <laughs> saying that Judith Collins was hedging her bets on whether she would accept the results of the election, trying to build up this kind of, you know, Trump uh, disputing the legitimacy of, of the electoral system kind of narrative. Um which, you know, I, I sometimes wonder about the kind of drive to import American narratives into New Zealand politics. Um, you know, it may be worth asking whether Donald Trump, you know, probably the most volatile leader of the Western world in recent history, well, in, <laughs> in memory, um, is, is going to sort of accept the results of the election um, you know, he's been dismantling the postal service and, uh, you know, has, has has a history of sort of, you know, populist rallies, you know, inciting, you know, violence against journalists, that kind of thing. Um, but 
and and you know of course is able to appoint his own people to the Department of Justice can control federal troops um but but to kind of try and create that same narrative around the leader of an opposition party in New Zealand who has given no indication that they intend to hold a coup or you know invoke riots should they not win the popular vote um seems seems a little unhelpful i think during the kind of heightened tensions and anxieties that people might be having uh you know as as a public right now hey speaking of hopeful i've got i've got a uh, helpful i've got i've got some help for the national party so you know baby yak ba- baby uh, yak speaking about the simon bridges redemption mm-hmm. yaks yeah, mm-hmm. so Baby Yak is called Hope. So I reckon new campaign slogan, leave all the negativity mm. behind, hope for a generation, mm. and use that Fat Freddy's Drop song, hope for a generation, and then you're not going to get sued yeah. by Eminem and it's way more patriotic. You're welcome, <laughs> Jerry. You're welcome, <laughs> Jerry and the Pacemakers. Okay. Judith Collins, hope and change. You heard it here first. Extraordinary political strategizing by Annabelle Lee Mather. Ben Thomas has also done his best and looks like he's lounging in front of a pool by Lake Garda in the, in the, in the Italian hills. Uh, Tina Tiller looks like she would rather be anywhere else than here, but has been very patient. And I'm, I'm, I'm out. I just want to say, if any of you have stayed this long through this stilted Zoom podcast, for which we apologise, you must be a tragic. So you will be wanting to watch Young Wings, the um, series that we have made for the spin-off about the candidates from the parliamentary parties and the youth wings. It's very good. Have you seen it yet, Annabelle? I... I'm saving it up so that I can binge it this weekend. I'm pumped, pumped. Uh, Ben, have you seen it yet? Ben's asleep. Ben looks like George Michael in the Club Tropicana video. He just needs some little white shorts. My dreams are free. (laughs) Because you guys are doing this over Zoom, this is cyberbullying, and I do have legal reports. It's got to, it's got to stop. It's got to stop. Let's put an end to it. Let's just put a bullet to the head of this podcast and say good night. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Is it mad that the world burning is not in our like top three concerns you thought bad 
bad news was done, but I'm back with more. In Alice Sneddon's Bad News Saves the World, I finally address the climate crisis and explore why no one cares. Watch it on thespinoff.co.nz. I can see okay. the anxiety starting to emit from you. The Spinoff Podcast Network.